You're listening to Liberty Buzzard with Dustin Hammett and Thomas Umstead Jr. Episode 17. I'm Dustin Hammett. I'm Thomas Umstead Jr. Welcome to the show where we pick pick apart the dead and dying news on the American highway. This is Liberty Buzzard. And Thomas and I were having a pre-show chat about 5G cell phones, and we started talking about self-driving cars. We figured, hey, you know what? Why don't why do we talk about this on the show? Because it's a whole lot more interesting than the depressing news of the day. So, Thomas, tell me what you know. Nerd, explain to me about 5G cell phones, what's going on with that, and, uh, and then we'll talk about self-driving cars. So 5G is a big step up. It's a big revolution in cell phones and much bigger than the last few steps have been, partly because of how it's going to affect the devices in your home and your car uh, and your truck and all the rest of it. So 5G, of course, is faster, right? Every G of cell phones, and which, by the way, stands for generation. So it's like this is a new generation of phones that have a new technology. So this is the fifth generation of phones. And um, they're going to run 10... 10 to- yeah, it's actually straightforward and easy to understand, which is nice. Uh, in the early days, like in 1G and 2G world, uh, there was you know, like dozens of different competing cell phone technologies. So you had like GSM and TDMA, and they weren't compatible with each other. The big thing with 4G was that everyone got on the same technology package. So all 4G phones are LTE, or at least they are now. And so LTE as a technology kind of won and is the, was the king of the hill, which made it a lot easier to travel with your cell phone and a lot easier to take your phone from carrier to carrier. Because it used to be if you had an AT&T phone and you wanted to be on Verizon, you'd have to get a different phone because the phone was not compatible. Now it's less that way. It's, it's still that way, but it's not that way as much. Um, what's cool about 5G, though, is that not only is it way, way faster. So the reason this came up is that Dustin is on like edge of civilization internet and it's wireless. It's it's like a cell phone connection. It's a it's a different technology, but it's similar. And once five G comes out, he could presumably have a five G modem in his house that gives him an internet connection almost as good as the one that I have being in the city. And that's really exciting. Uh, but the other thing that's exciting about five G is that it will allow really quick communication between vehicles so fast that they can talk in a way that's useful. So it's like, hey, my alternator belt is fit or my alternator is failing. I'm about to start suddenly decelerating. And before it starts decelerating, it's able to message to all of the other smart self-driving cars around it. Hey, this event is about to happen. Before, hey, hey, Thomas, before we get into the, to the, to the car thing, you know, nerd explain to me some more. So 5G, we're talking about wireless, right? That's right. It's the wireless technology, and it's primarily a digital technology. So in the olden days, you'd have these like analog signals that, uh, that took up a lot of space. Now, when you make a phone call, it's more like Skype than it is like making an old school phone call through a, like a, with a little twisty wire into the wall. It's a it's more like that technology. So is and you say it's going to be almost as fast as what you have in the city. Me being out here in the country, do you mean as fast as like a landline even? So we're talking like 100 megabits a second and supposedly even up to 1,000 megabits a second, which is actually faster than what you have with a landline connection. So people with cable internet uh, in Texas tend to have somewhere between 25 and 100 megabits a second. And LTE is um, 
capable of being faster than that. So it's more like what you'd have with Google Fiber level speeds. Now, whether or not it actually delivers on that speed uh, is, is remains to be seen. So when do we expect the rollout of this year, this year 5G technology? So they're putting some towers up already uh, in test markets, but 2019 is going to be the year of 5G, supposedly. So there's a big um, drama because the two companies, uh, Qualcomm and uh, the other one, it's a very similar name, Broadcom, uh, were wanting to merge, and Trump blocked it for national security reasons. He uh, trumped which it? Actually, he trumped it, yeah, which is kind of nice, actually. It's one of the things I don't disagree with him on. I haven't researched it super well, but the idea is if those merged, we wouldn't have a good like American source of uh, communication technology. And the, uh, the other big player is a Chinese company that has been known to bug phones and bug people's routers and internet connections and just does like snooping on behalf of the Chinese government. And so you can't really trust this company and it's a really big company. Um, you can't trust them with your communications, right? We don't want, it's, you know, how are you protecting the fourth amendment, you know, without search and seizure without probable cause? Like, I feel like the government's violating its obligation to protect that amendment to the Constitution if it's allowing other governments to search without probable cause, right? Like, that snooping is completely unacceptable. And so, I actually support blocking them uh, from our, you know, being like one of the only players in 5G world. That's pretty interesting. So, well, A, you know, I I, I agree with it too, just because of uh, anti-monopolistic feelings and, you know, economics and all that jazz. But what I'm really interested in is, you know, the self-driving technology. As a, as a, as a former peace officer, I got to tell you, humans are terrible, terrible drivers, just awful um, on, on a large scale. It's actually pretty amazing to me that there aren't, and that the statistics are pretty high. There's a lot of death out there on the roads. I mean, it is, I can't even cite the statistics right now, but it is a multiples more dangerous to travel on the roads than it is to do a lot of things. Um, and it, the, the amount of wrecks that I saw, A, I'll say that the engineering technology for cars out there is absolutely amazing. People that walk away from wrecks where 15, 20 years ago, they would have never have walked away from. The engineers behind putting together these cars have made the survivability rate of uh, your typical traffic collision, you know, multiples better than they were prior. It's absolutely amazing. Some of the stuff I saw, I was like, there's no way anybody should have lived through that. And they did. And, you know, some scrapes and bruises and, and some uh, hurt feelings. And that was that's, that's all they had. Um, to give I'd you say an example, though, of how much more dangerous driving is, uh, let's look at September 11th. So on September 11th, roughly 3,000 people died in a terrible terrorist uh, event that oh, yeah. spooked the whole nation. Well, it's hard to remember, but people were terrified to fly after September 11th, and the amount of flights booked dropped dramatically for a three-month window after September 11th. So if somebody's not going to fly to their destination, what are they going to do? They're going to drive to that destination. And when they drive to that destination, they're in actually increasing their risk. And some social scientists are like, oh, this is a perfect natural experiment. We know about how many people die on the roads on any given month, right? You can compare it to previous years. Yeah, the statistics and, are pretty easy to, uh, to, to find, yeah. Right, and so they found that there was a change in the deaths on the roads. And do you know what that change was in the three-month window after September 11th? 
an additional 3,000 people died on the roads out of fear of flying. Zero people died flying during that time, but it was almost like a second September 11th of fear because of, uh, people could picture themselves dying, but everyone's always had a near miss while driving their car. And so everyone tells themselves they're a safe driver and they tell themselves I'm lucky and they tell themselves I'm not going to get into a bad accident. When in reality, your drive to the airport is far more dangerous than your flight after the airport. Yeah, Dr. Uh, Cialdini uh, goes into that. Uh, he's a social scientist who wrote a couple books, very important books. Uh, and I can't remember which book it is because I'm in the process of reading one of his and I just read the second but he, he goes exactly into that. Um, and I think also Scott Adams of uh, the Dilbert fame in his book, How to uh, How to Fail at Everything and Still Win Big. I think I got the title right. Uh, he also went into, into it in his book, that exact same statistic that you mentioned. So, uh, yeah, that just goes back to my point that human beings are terrible drivers because they're such emotional decision makers. We always... You know, economists and, and people always say, hey, we're rational, we make rational decisions. But the rational part of our decision making uh, is very, very, very small. A vast majority of our decision making is pure emotion. Um, so, so yeah, getting back to the getting back to driverless cars as a peace officer, I can tell you that I am excited about the idea of driverless cars, almost as excited as I was about Uber and Lyft. Uh, just because, you know, for somebody who did a lot of uh, driving while intoxicated arrests, I can tell you that Uber and Lyft did a, a, a number on making uh, cheap rides home available for drunks. And I think anecdotally, based on just my my uh, impressions, based on my experience, I think they did a lot to decrease. I don't have any hard facts or numbers on that. But uh, so driverless cars, I think, are going to go one step further. Um, I think if you have, there's a lot, there's, there's, we have a long way to go, but uh, I think when you have cars that can talk to each other, uh, communicate with each other and and possibly break and, uh, not collide with somebody because somebody's not paying attention. I think you're going to see, once we go to a driverless car situation, I think it's an inevitability. I think you're going to see our, um, our death toll on the roads, decrease dramatically. I mean, I'm not going to put a number on it, but I think it's going to go from whatever it is right now, 30,000, 50,000, however many deaths in a, in a, in a given year, I think it's going to go down to hundreds, maybe thousands. And that's going to have a bunch of ramifications. Now, when you said we have a long way to go, we do have a long way to go, but not where you think. And to explain, I want to tell a very old and not at all funny joke. But there's these two... Ooh, nerd, explain to me. There's these two Boy Scouts, and they're around a campfire. And this bear comes up onto the campfire. And it's a very hungry-looking bear. And one of the Boy Scouts puts his shoes on, his tennis shoes on. And the other Boy Scout's like, why did you put your tennis shoes on, you're not going to be able to outrun the bear. And the, the Boy Scout with the tennis shoes on says, I'm not trying to outrun the bear. I'm just trying to outrun you. <laughs> um, <laughs> so often uh, when people talk about self-driving cars, their level of expectation is that the self-driving car has to be safe. Zero people need to die in the self-driving car. It needs to be able to outrun the bear. And the reality is, is that for self-driving cars to have a net benefit on society to save people's lives, the self-driving car needs to be faster than the other Boy Scout. In this case, it is humans who are 
terrible at driving. Terrible. And do you know when self-driving cars will become safer than humans? In 2017. Uh, it already happened. <laughs> They're already safer. Uh, they've done all of these tests. Self-driving cars have been driving all over Arizona. They've been driving all over California. And if every car switched to being a self-driving car today, something like 30% of the people who died on the roads wouldn't die on the roads. Like that's how much safer. But here's what's incredible about self-driving cars. When you get into an accident or you get a ticket, uh, you learn something, right? Like, oh, I need to drive slower on such and such road, or I need to be careful and, you know, with red lights because of this event that happened to me. And as humans get older, they become safer drivers, right? You pay less on insurance because you're gaining that Theoretically. experience. Yeah. Some people more than others. But you don't pass that experience on to anyone else. When you have a kid, they start off as a total idiot driving. Uh, and you can try to teach them, but really they have to have their own experiences to learn to become a safe driver. Self-driving cars are not like that. Uh, what self-driving, what Teslas do, which have self-driving technology built in, when they do an investigation and they realize they need to make a safety improvement, they don't just put out that safety improvement on all future cars. They also update all the past cars and make those safer as well. So your Tesla that you bought for $100,000 three years ago is a safer car now than when you bought it because of all of the updates they've pushed out over the internet. That is incredible. Thomas, I have a question for you. A, that is okay. incredible, but you just got my wheels spinning. So every time I hit the update button on my Tesla, is it going to decrease my battery efficiency? <laughs> So the lithium-ion batteries decrease and degrade over time. Uh, it's just a nature of the um, technology. Now, the reason why your phone, every time you update it, it gets slower is because Apple, at least in the last couple of versions, added bloat to the operating system, which made it use more battery juice. The next update, actually, that they're going to push out, and I realize we're changing topics here a little bit, but it's actually going to increase your battery life. So sometimes updates will increase your battery life. And the next one from Apple is going to do that. Um, but what to give you an idea of how safe these Teslas are, there was an example of an accident in, I forget what state it was. I want to say it's um, I think somewhere in the Midwest. And the Tesla, it was using driver assist technology. So the driver was driving. It wasn't full-on self-driving mode. But the Tesla detected that the cars in front of the Tesla were going to get into a collision before the driver did and before the collision happened. So this is the car behind the two cars that are about to crash. And so it already started braking before the accident in front of it happened. So it's like there's an 89% probability that this accident is going to occur. So the driver of the Tesla came to a nice, slow, steady stop right in front of this crash that happened right in front of him, which was almost like being able to peer into the future. Like that is unbelievable. <laughs> like the idea, if humans were able to do that, no one would be driving on the roads, right? The, what's the biggest reason? Uh, and Justin, you probably heard this when you would do a um, accident as a cop. It's like, oh, I didn't see him, right? That's like the number one excuse for getting into an accident. I didn't see him. Why? Because they were well, texting. The, <laughs> they were texting or or they were looking somewhere else, right? We can only look in one direction at a time. A self-driving car is looking at all directions all the time and using multiple different technologies to do it. So it's not just looking through cameras. It's also looking through radar. It's looking through with lasers. Like it's detecting the whole world around it in a much better way than human drivers are able to do it. But here's the problem. 
It's not faster than the bear. People still die in self-driving cars. And every time somebody dies in a self-driving car, they suspend all self-driving car tests in that state or in that city for an indefinite period of time. And by doing so, put everyone at more risk. Because while they're not safe, they're already safer. <laughs> and this is, I think, the biggest like tragedy that's about to unfold over the next five years, ten years, however long it takes us to fully embrace self-driving cars is that people's fear of this technology because they can picture a car going crazy and killing somebody on its own like that's very clear in their head and they have no idea how common that is or likely it is but it feels likely because you can picture it and because it's so easy to picture and the idea of all of these bad driving humans just wandering around crashing into each other every day um, is harder to picture we are going to be I fear slow to adopt the self-driving car technology that already could be saving lives. And uh, Dustin, what, what do you think is the way to fix that? Like, how do you help people be less afraid of the new? Well, A, I think you start with the trucking industry. Um, I think that you convince the trucking industry that they will increase their profits, they will decrease... Um, Losses in things like uh, uh, speeding tickets or, you know, any of the friction that uh, long-range trucking encounters um, based on or monetary losses from lawsuits from wrecks and stuff like that. I think you start with a commercial industry like that and you start putting uh, some of this technology on those types of uh, uh, equipment. All of a sudden, and you, and you put it into a framework of, um, you know, increasing profits. And businessmen, they're gonna they're they're gonna they're gonna start making their drivers do it, you know, whether they want to or not. I think what you have in a lot of ways is a culture of people who have always been drivers and who fear losing that status to uh, a machine. And I think that's just gonna come with time. I think it's gonna come with uh, the technology improving, um, and ultimately, ultimately, people are just gonna get used to the idea. I mean, that's. You're going to have to just wait in there slowly. It's not going to be, it's not going to be one of those things that just catches on overnight. Um, I think it'll happen a lot faster than like, look at the internet. I mean, look how, how quick the internet took over all of our lives. Um, you have people and there's still some older people out there who do not trust internet banking. But, um, you know, in my little, my little cloistered circle of, uh, friends, I just don't know anybody who doesn't do internet banking. It's just so stinking convenient. Why would you not? So, you know, where in the past people thought, you know, buying things over the internet, uh, you're going to get your card stolen every other day, amazon.com, you know, they're just stealing your information, blah, 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 blah. And yeah, they are taking your information. You're not stealing it. I'm willing to give it, giving it to them. But um, ultimately, the convenience outweighs the irrational fear. And once you get over the irrational fear, that's when the convenience will take over. That's when the technology will take over. So it's just going to take time and it's going to take, it's going to take some, yeah. I mean, I, it, there's a lot of factors that are going to go with time, but ultimately it's just going to take time for people to get over their fears. So here's another impact of self-driving cars that I don't hear anyone talking about. So right now, if you're an organ donor, the most likely trigger that's going to cause you to donate your organs to somebody else is if you die in a car accident because uh, dying in car accidents tends to preserve most of the organs that are most in demand 
Yeah, True, long, because most of the time it's the neck that breaks. That's right. Uh, so, like Steve Jobs, when he got a liver transplant, he registered. You're allowed to register for liver transplants in two different states, and he picked a state, one of them, uh, where they have uh, they were about to have spring break, and he was just expecting that somebody was going to die in a spring break car accident and give him a nice young liver. And sure enough, that's what happened. So. The, there was a car accident and the guy donated his liver and that's where Steve Jobs got his liver. So what happens in a world of self-driving cars where we go from 30,000 people dying in car accidents every year down to say 5,000 people dying in car accidents every year, or even let's just say 15,000. So we just cut it in half and that's all we are suddenly reducing the amount of organs by half. <laughs> so uh, this is one of those unintended consequences where suddenly we're saving people on the roads, but it's causing a ripple effect where it's now harder for doctors to save people's lives in other places. Because if you die of old age, you're not donating your organs to anyone. <laughs> there's no, uh, those, the, there's not enough life left in those organs. You have to die prematurely. And from some like non, like if you die of some terrible virus, right? If you die from e Ebola, uh, they're not going to take your Ebola liver and put it in somebody else. Now they have Ebola, right? So and I don't know what the solution is. I think that hopefully we'll get to the point where 3D printing technology, where we can 3D print a new liver, which I know they're already working on, uh, will get there. Uh, but this is one of those things that you think about. What's the impact of uh, new technologies? And there's often a good impact and there's often a bad impact. Uh, I'm I'm personally very optimistic, though. You know, Thomas, actually, I think we've had this conversation before. I'm I'm pretty optimistic about the way that medical technology is going. As a matter of fact, I think you and I, if and if not us, then definitely our children will be some of the first generation to live to 120 years old. I mean, you look at the, the length of lifespan has just been getting longer and longer and longer, starting with, you know, the beginning of last century, all the way up until uh, contemporary times. And I don't think that's going to stop. I mean, look how oh, it did much stop. of our economy. It has stopped. It did? Yeah. No, okay. it started well, let me, recline. Let me finish my point. It, okay, okay. Let, let me finish my point, and then, and then you, can, you, can, you can tell me about that. Um, uh, so my, my, my point was, you know, albeit some small stops for whatever reason that you're about to inform me of, I think it's going to eventually keep going. Look how much of our economy is devoted to healthcare. Uh, it's <laughs> just a huge chunk. And it's all to um, extending lives. And, uh, you know, I think you know, to go down to a little bit darker of a path, sometimes it almost extends life beyond the point of where it doesn't make sense anymore. And we can talk about that as, as a separate topic. But the, our, our entire healthcare system is about extending life for as long as possible. Um, and I think eventually we're going to get to the point where you can take your own stem cells from blood marrow, whatever I, the, you know, the, the technology is beyond me and create your own 3d organ to the point where if you have some type of organ failure, all they're going to do is print you a new one. Uh, and I'd say pretty much the, and you, I, I, I would go so far as to say that's going to even extend into limbs. Um, and you know, maybe it'll get into that sci-fi region where you know they don't even grow a new one; they just grow a new one on you, like a lizard does its tail. So I think, in in my opinion, I think that's where it's going to go. Um, I don't have a lot of the 
technological basis to really prove that. I, it's it, my, 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 my technological no is very slim, but I think that's the way we're going to go. So Thomas, tell me what you think about that and tell me how it stopped because I'm interested to hear about that. Yeah. So here's a Washington Post article from December 21st, 2017, fueled by drug crisis, U.S. life expectancy declines for second straight year. So we've had two years of declining life expectancy. Now, I thought based solely on the based solely on the drug crisis. And when you say drug crisis, do you mean like uh, drug abuse? What What do you mean by drug crisis? So I so I haven't read this whole article, um, but it's I, I think they're blaming it on the opioid epidemic, um, where people are dying of opioid deaths, and that's causing because when somebody dies young or you know, like in their fifties when they normally would have died in their eighties, it pulls down that average life expectancy a lot. So one person dying in their 50s when they would have lived to 80 is worth, you know, 10 people living to 90 when they would have lived to 80 in terms of like how the averages work. Uh, Those numbers are just representative. I didn't do the math in my head. Um, But I think it's also an issue of diet and uh, lifestyle. So uh, we in some ways we have a less healthy lifestyle now on average than we did 50 years ago, right? Like we spend more time sitting, we're eating foods that are prepackaged with lots of salt and lots of saturated fats and lots of sugar. And I feel like there's this, uh, you're exactly right in like the, this explosion of medical technology, but like as quickly as we are creating technologies to cause us to live longer, we're also eating foods and doing things that are causing us to live shorter. <laughs> and it's like averaging out um, when, you know, if you want to live, a, I, I totally agree that if you want to live a long time, it's going to be a lot easier to live a long time. Like if you're willing to uh, adjust your lifestyle where you're not eating sugar uh, and you're not doing all of these things that are you know unhealthy, yeah, you can live a long time. But that may be harder in, in not doing drugs, right? Like opioids, according to this chart, killing a lot of people right now. <laughs> and, the, and the graphs are really scary because they're like soaring, like they're kind of bumping around flat and then they're jumping almost straight up. And I'm not sure what's causing that to happen. Um, but, uh, yeah, I feel like probably there's the some give and some take. Probably the incredible, incredibly in- addictive nature of op- opioids. Um, and they're just getting easier and easier to get. So I think these days, Oxycontin is, uh, kind of the abuse, drug abuse of choice, uh, for a lot of the opioid abusers. And they're just really easy to come by, whether that's a crooked doctor who uh, runs one of those, quote unquote, pain management centers. Um, and of course, you know, the drug companies, they're, they're not going to stop making them if there's a demand for it. So, uh, yeah, I think the avail- availability is is like anything is making it a lot worse. Now, I'd really like to dig down in the studies and the statistics to figure out why. Um, but I think that's an interesting point. I had I had not read about that. Um, and I. I also like your point about, you know, unhealthy lifestyles. That being said, I think that our national consciousness is really catching up to that. Um, I think that you see, you know, the, the stay at home mom group, let's, you know, let's not, let's expand that. Just the mom group in general, um, I think is really becoming more and more conscious about limiting sugar intake of children. You know, that's what I see anecdotally from from my circle of friends. And so, once again, that's going to be a national consciousness thing. It's going to be a culture thing. Over time, uh, as our our parents' generation, who um, really kind of, you know, took 
didn't didn't pay attention to sugar the way it should have been paid attention to. Um, once they once they catch on, and once our generation catches on, I think the, that that particular situation will will resolve itself. Also, if they can figure out how to cure, and I've I've seen some promising research on this, how to, to quote unquote cure diabetes. Uh, by you know uh, making sure that pancreas can actually produce insulin like it should, I mean, that's 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 going to go a long way. Drug addiction, you know, um, I think they're making some strides into that as well. Uh, but I don't. I think it's fascinating, Thomas, that a drug crisis can have that much effect on national uh, lifespans. Now, I, I, are we talking about just the United States? Is that what the study is talking it's, about? Just, the, just US? the United States. And to give you an idea, I'm looking at this chart. Uh, synthetic opioids other than methadone, which is one of the lines in the chart. In 2012, it was roughly one death per 100,000. In 2016, it wasn't two deaths. It didn't double to two. It didn't double or triple to three. It's at just over six. So it went up uh, 6,000% increase in the number of deaths per 100,000 people. And what's interesting is that methadone deaths are actually down. Like the, the solution to this micro problem, the solution is very easy. Just make methadone easier for doctors to prescribe. Because uh, methadone is the safest of all of these. And it's a way of getting people off of the thing that has a very good chance of killing them down to something that uh, won't like you can go to a work from what I've heard people are able to go to work and they can function with methadone the the problem though is that methadone is so tightly controlled it's more expensive than heroin uh, which also has jumped hmm. so in 2010 or oxycontin right yeah oxycontin is I believe this uh, asynthetic opioid so that c- category it includes is, yeah. oxycontin but heroin had it roughly does. one death per 100,000 in 2010 in the United States now it's up to five and what happens is people start off with what they get prescribed from their doctor, and then they switch to heroin often when they, that prescription runs out. And um, heroin also introduces other ways of, of dying because you inject it so you can get um, diseases, you know, that are like AIDS from a dirty needle, that sort of thing. AIDS, hepatitis, herpes, all the good yeah, ones. Yeah. yeah. So it's n- not great. <laughs> not, not great. Uh, and if we had a way instead of, so let's say somebody's had terrible surgery. And they were on opioids and they needed it. And then they get cut off. And it's like, okay, good luck with that. Like, I feel like there needs to be a easier way for the doctor to be like, hey, I'm cutting you off of Oxycontin, but you can go to methadone for the next year as you kind of wean your way down. Um, or methadone indefinitely, right, to keep you off the heroin. Like if your goal is to reduce the number of people dying, like because it's so high now, it's affecting the averages for our whole civilization. And this is one of those ways that you can compare like what country is the best for a long time. We've been bragging like people in America have one of the highest life expectancies. Like, yeah, well now it's no longer in the eighties. It's like, it's falling down to like 79 is the life expectancy. Uh, for somebody in America, if I'm reading this article correctly, it's like, that's a big problem. And it's a problem with a relatively simple, um, it's not fixed, but it's a mitigate, mitigator. We can mitigate it very effectively with methadone. And I will say that is what they do in Europe. And methadone is much easier to get. They have methadone clinics. And um, it it keeps people from dying of these crazy o- overdoses at these crazy rates. So I'll make two points to that. Um, the first point that I'll make is, this is from my experience, this is anecdotal. Um, the first point that I will make is myself 
and a lot of my friends who are still police officers are scared to death of pain pills. Um, and this is this is a psychological thing I recognize in myself, and I, I, I kind of like it this way. But, uh, for example, I went in for some minor surgery a few weeks ago, and the doctor offered to uh, prescribe me a, a Xanax, um, Alprazolam, a Xanax to relieve anxiety prior to the surgery. And, uh, I, you know, I had my wife fill the prescription. She got it for me. It was, uh, I think it was one Xanax pill. That was all it was. Um, based on my own personal experience with Xanax, and uh, this is actually a different drug classification than narcotics and opo- opioids, but still it's, I, I have seen it as an addictive drug. Based on my experience, uh, with, with Xanax, I actually felt more anxiety about taking that damn pill than I did about the surgery. And this is just based on my own personal experience of what I saw people on the street. And I know I'm not the only a cop out there or a paramedic who feels the same way. You know, you run into so many drug overdoses. Uh, you run into so many people whose lives have been destroyed and are now living under a bridge because of drugs. You start seeing the addictive quality of that stuff and it starts scaring you to death. I'll tell you the truth, Thomas. The addictive quality of any drug, but especially opioids, scares me to death because I've seen firsthand how it can absolutely ruin people's lives. Um, and, but I will also mention the fact, um, and I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to get that article, article link from you because I really want to drill down into that study, which you said was from the Washington Post, right? That's right. I've got a link to it. We'll have a link to it in the show notes. So if you scroll down, uh, in this story. So I'm going to have to drill down on that study because I've run into a couple of Washington Post articles like that. And I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. And then I go back and I really drill down into the study. And that's usually in, in areas that I'm very familiar with. So I feel comfortable reading the, the scientific study. Um, and I read some of the methodologies in these studies, especially the ones that are kind of, quote unquote, commissioned by the article writers themselves. And they are very, very suspect. So... You know, what I will caution to you, and you probably already know this, but anybody who's listening to this, is you have to be very careful about articles that quote scientific studies in uh, in the media, just because you never really know how good of a study it was, and you really never know if it actually made it into a journal, was peer-reviewed, and how how widely that that uh, study was accepted within the community in, 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 in which it was formed. Which, which is going to say a lot about the study itself. So I'm going to be interested to read that and actually drill down and, and see where the, 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 the statistics and the data come from. Just because if it is true, uh, that's, that's, that's pretty, it's pretty notable. Um, and I will finish with this, is I will say that the increase in opioid addiction, based on my experience, it, it does jive with my experience. So I do believe that there is an increase out there. I'm not questioning this particular study. I'm just kind of going off of some of the other studies that I've read that didn't exactly pan out the way that they were purported to be based on reading. Yeah, and the if you want itself. to read that st- uh, study and and when we jump into this, be more uh, familiar with it, just go to Liberty Buzzard forward slash sixteen or sorry forward slash zero seventeen, so zero one seven. Um, Dustin and I are going to do a book uh, club. Uh, one of the things we want to experiment with on the show is listening to a book. Uh, or discussing a book that you can listen to on Audible. Uh, we haven't gotten Audible to sponsor the podcast. We haven't tried. Um, but uh, if you want to be a part of that book discussion, the first book we're going to listen to is Persuasion by Robert Cialdini. And we're going to discuss how to persuade people. But also, we're gonna, I want to discuss, Dustin, um, 
marketing ethics <laughs> and when when is it ethical to use these techniques and when is it not because once you realize how powerful these techniques are it gets a little scary so we want to know what you think about 5g self-driving cars and uh the opioid epidemic uh, feel free to leave us a comment at liberty buzzard forward slash zero one seven i'm thomas umstead jr i'm dustin hammett and you've been listening to liberty buzzard <laughs>